0: starting from chapter 7 to verse 23, if you're looking for it in the Bibles. So the writer begins like this. Now there have been many of those priests, he's talking about the Old Testament priesthood, since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. That is uh, why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said,
1: The days are coming, (coughs) declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more
0: By calling this covenant new he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear
2: Now, some of you, oldies like me, will... Remember a cultural revolution that we went through back in the 70s. There was a thing that happened in the 70s that was just life-changing for us. It was the introduction of colour television. Now, you, you young folks don't understand the struggles that we had, but... For the first time, you see, previously, we had sat round in our black and white world. We had sat round our hazy little black and white television. They were tiny. The screen was very unclear. They were were dreadful. But then we were introduced to colour television. And I can't tell you the excitement it was when we watched a snooker game and we could identify the colour of the balls. (laughs) That was really exciting. When the comedies would say, "Yes, it's a grey ball, and he's knocked, knocked it, the bounce under the grey ball into the hole," but meaningless. It was wonderful to be able to watch a Newcastle United versus Sunderland match <laughs> and identify who was playing. It was wonderful to see what colour mascara. Mark Boland or David Bowie might be wearing on top of the pops. These were exciting times. You young folks do not know the struggles that we had. It was wonderful. It was, it was just, as the world turned into, into colour, it was just, just revolution. And the thing is, none of us took our colour televisions back to the shop and said, I don't like it. Can I have me old hazy black and white one back again? None of us did that, did we? Once we had the colour television, we embraced it and we have never turned back. This is what the writer to the Hebrews is saying in this letter today. He's seen this, he's been a revolution. He's writing to Jews who are now Christians and he was saying, you were brought up under the old covenant with all of its oppressive rules and regulations, but now there is a new covenant and your relationship is based not on you keeping God's laws. It's based on Jesus Christ having kept them and by his blood which he shed on the cross so you are right with, by, right with God by faith alone. This is world-changing, world-changing. So don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the old ways. It's obsolete, the new covenant here. And to use the word that comes up so many times in the book of Hebrews, it is better. The new covenant with Jesus Christ is better. We studied the first cha- first seven chapters of Hebrews earlier this year. But let me give you a little recap, because this is our first week back into the book of Hebrews. Now, we don't exactly know who wrote this letter. It's not signed uh, at the end or at the beginning, so we will attribute the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit as being the author of this. We don't know exactly who he was writing to, so we happily... we, We happily read that they appear to be people who were brought up under the Old Covenant, Jewish regulations, and are now trusting in Jesus Christ. Jews, now Christians. But they were finding it tough. They were all finding it tough. They were facing persecution for their faith. Some had lost their jobs, some had lost their houses, Some had been thrown into prison for their faith, and in the fullness of time, some would be thrown to the lions, some would be tied to posts, covered in tar and burned simply so that Nero could have some lighting in his garden. That's true. This is the persecution they were facing for rejecting the the old ways and turning to Christ. So some of them were wondering, should we go back to the old ways now? This is just so hard. Should we go back? You see, our parents and our grandparents worshipped God under the old covenant for hundreds of years. So if we went back to the old ways... We'd still be worshipping God, wouldn't we? So it'll be all right, guys, won't it? Let's go back and no, says the writer, no. Don't go back because what you have in Christ is better. It's better. And the writer explains in the letter that they must press on in their faith in Jesus Christ. In the first couple of chapters... Of Hebrews the writer said that Jesus is better than the angels whom the Jews revered very highly he's better than Moses one of your great leaders he's better than all of your priests he is the great high priest and he's brought in a better covenant so guys press on press on following Jesus and of course the Bible's saying exactly the same to you if you are struggling in your faith today If you're finding it tough and you're thinking of drifting towards the world, don't do it, says the Bible. Press on, because what you have in Jesus Christ is better than anything the world can offer. Jesus is infinitely better. That's true, isn't it? It's better. So let's look at this passage under 2. Headings that Jesus' ministry has better promises and Jesus' ministry has a better covenant. So, number one, Jesus' ministry has better promises. Read with me, please, verses one to two. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. So unlike the Old Testament priests, the Lord Jesus is a a superior high priest. He is the great high priest. He is one with, though he was tempted, he did not sin. Never once, he never sinned. And because he's fully human, he is able to sympathize with us and help us in our time of need. So we read in chapter four. And he has sat down because you know what? His work of finishing, his work of saving your soul is finished. His work is finished of saving your soul is finished. He's, he's sat down. So the, the blood of animals could never wash away your sins. They're not a, 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 a suitable substitute, is it? So only, they could only, sh- when, the animal, when an animal was sacrificed, they could only show you the seriousness of your sin, that the penalty must be death, your death, or an animal, But it could never wash away your sins properly, could it? An animal could never wash away your sins. And where is this Jesus sitting? He's sitting at the right hand of Almighty God on his throne in his rightful place. God prophesies this in Psalm 110. 110, in Psalm 110 it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make an enemy of a a, a footstool, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So what David was saying, the Lord, God, God the Father says to my, David's Lord, that's Jesus, sit at my right hand. So God the Father says to David's Lord, Jesus, sit at my right hand, Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, sit at my right hand," says the Lord Jesus. And He's there because of His death and resurrection. You know, an old an Old Testament priest could never sit down in the temple. Do you know why? There were no chairs. There were no chairs for them to sit down and rest because their work of sacrificing animals was never finished. Day after day after day, lamb after dove after ox, they were never finished, they could never rest. But Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, he has sat down to rest. And he's in a better sanctuary. He's in heaven itself. Heaven which is a tabernacle, a true tabernacle set up by the Lord. Not not a one built by human hands like the temple in Jerusalem. No, far, far better. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans I believe. God's temple can never be destroyed, can it? So he's serving in a better temple. And he's now exalted in the highest heaven. This is our Jesus. Read with me please verse 3. Verse 3 down to 5. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. And that's why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle. "See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now the the writer of this letter to the Hebrews knew there was a physical temple in Jerusalem. And some of the people who received the letter... Will have gone there and visited and worshipped in that temple. And the priests there would offer gifts to God and perform sacrifices to God. But Jesus is a better high priest. So he offers better gifts and sacrifices. And, and what was his better sacrifice, better gift? Himself. He gave himself the Son of Almighty God. He- there is nothing possible to give that is more than God's own son, is there? He gave himself. How much more valuable is that than an ordinary lamb? And he does it in a better sanctuary in heaven itself. The temple in Jerusalem was just a shadow of the real temple in, Jeru- in heaven where he performs his duties now, during Jesus' life on earth, in his earthly ministry, Jesus could not serve as a priest. You know why? He wasn't of the right family line. He wasn't from the, the tribe of Levi. He wasn't eligible. If Jesus had gone into Jer- Jerusalem and into the temple and tried to offer a sacrifice, he would have been thrown out because you, you, are, not, you are not a priest. You are not. Of the the tribe of Levi. Only the Levite priests could do that. But in heaven, those rules are scrapped. He's now under the order of our dear friend Melchizedek, isn't he? You remember him? So he's in a a better place doing where he has performed his better sacrifice. And he now serves in the temple. In heaven. Verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established by better promises. The superiority superiority of Jesus' ministry is based on the superiority of his covenant of which he is the mediator. You you, you know what a mediator is, don't you? He is someone who negotiates between two parties to bring us to a, a suitable outcome that everybody agrees to. Well, the Lord mediates for you and I on the basis of his sacrifice. So that on the day you stand before the great judge in heaven, he will say, he will say, don't hold their sin against them Lord look at my hands see the wounds their sins have been paid for in full and so the Father will gladly forgive you all of your sins because of our wonderful Saviour Jesus Christ so number two going on to uh, verses seven and eight. Jesus' ministry has a better covenant. Read with me, please. Verse seven: For if there was, n- if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. A covenant is a promise, isn't it? Not the sort of promise that a kid makes at school and says, "I promise to come to your house tonight and play and play football with you." And then his man comes along and says, "No, you're going for, you're going for a haircut. You can't go out and play out and the promise is broken is. Howling, howling. Not, his promise is not like that. His prom- promise is a covenant. A covenant is a much deeper promise than the ones that you and I ordinarily make. Now some of you have made a covenant. Some of you have made a covenant. Some of you have stood beside somebody and said, I take you to be my wife, husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. That's a covenant. That's a covenant, and some of you have made that. It's a covenant that you made. So you're familiar with the concept of really deep promises. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God made a number of covenants with different people, but each one pointed forward to the Lord Jesus. His first was with Adam, and then with Noah, and then with Abraham and Moses, and then with David. Each one was initiated by God. But there was a problem with each of these covenants, and the problem was... The man that God made the covenant with. God is faithful, man is not. There's a weak link in that chain and the weak link was always humans. It was always people. God is faithful, we are not. And so time after time we broke God's covenant. So that old covenant is just not fit for purpose. It's finished. Now, in essence, there was nothing wrong with the old covenant until man sinned and broke them. So in the fullness of time, God brought in his covenant. It will be a permanent one that cannot be broken because it's one-sided. It's not a covenant with, with God and, and somebody like Abraham trying to keep it where Abraham would fail. No, it is one-sided. God will keep it in its entirety. All we have to add to that is trust in God. Back in January this year, this is PC Peter Stone. He's an uh, Australian policeman. He... Off duty one weekend, he took his family, this is just January this year, he took his family to a day at the beach in the height of summer. The 14-year-old was swimming and he got caught in the tide, a riptide which is a dangerous current that pulls very strongly out to sea. Peter Stone dived in to save his son, but as he pushed his son out of that riptide, another one caught him and dragged him out to sea where he drowned. He was an off-duty policeman who did the right thing in trying to save him, save his son, but it cost him his life. This is a small illustration of what the Lord Jesus has done for you on the cross. He gave his life so that you could live forever with him. Let's look at verses 8 to, 8 to 10. Now, did you notice why, when David was doing the reading, he asked Ruby to read part of it? Can you see that these verses from 8 to 12 are indented slightly on your page here? That means, the rules are that that means it's a quotation from the Old Testament. How do you find out where it's from? Do you have to know your entire Old Testament by heart so that you know where it's from? Well, the publishers have done something very kind. If you look at the last word of the quote, verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Do you see after the word more, there's a tiny little letter C. Now, when you see this tiny little italic, let, italicized letters it tells you look down at the bottom of the page and it'll tell you where it's from and if you've got a paper bible it'll, you look down at the bottom of the page and it says Jeremiah 31 31. It's wonderful if you, anybody knows the Old Testament by heart but to, to help you use those tiny little clues that the publishers have put into the bible when you see a tiny little italic letters look down at the bottom of the page and it'll tell you where the quote from is from the Old Testament handy eh isn't that kind of them so where we're reading verses verses 8 to 12 yeah God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. You see, way back in the Old Testament, God had always planned a new covenant. It was always part of his plan. The days are coming, said God, in the book of Jeremiah, Old Testament, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. says, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their mouths and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Direct quote from Jeremiah 31, because the footnote in your page tells you that. Now on the basis of his sacrifice... God explains the new covenant, which I said has always been part of his plan. And in this new covenant, he's making three promises here. He says, I will put, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts, says God. He will put a desire in your heart by the Holy Spirit to love him and want to obey him gives us the Holy Spirit to help us, doesn't he? So that we will want to obey him because we love him. Because he loved us first. And I will be their God and they will be my people. You know, throughout the Old Testament, God continually said, I will be their God if they will be my people. The if is removed in the new covenant There is no, if it's not conditional, God will do it all. I will be their God and they will be my people. The relationship is going to work because it's kept by God. He will be faithful to us to the end because he is the faithful God, isn't he? And we will know him, come back, and we will know him There it is. And we will all know him, for we shall see him as it is. You know, in in the Old Testament, only a few people were given the privilege of knowing God. Many of them are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, the, the heroes of the faith, Enoch, Abraham, Moses, King David. Ordinary folks like you and I never really had the chance to know God very well. But under the new covenant, we will all know him. Because we are his dearly loved children, aren't we? We're his dearly loved children. And that then we will know our heavenly father. I know some of us struggle with the thought of knowing God. And I know some of you fellas grow cold cold at the thought of having a relationship with Jesus. I know some of you struggle with that. But the time will come. The time will come when you will know him. When you'll have the perfect relationship with him when you're with him when you are with him it's all because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus him who is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister as we read in Hebrews chapter 2 let's read Hebrews 13 by calling this covenant new he's made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete obsolete and outdated will soon disappear the old covenant is finished it's done it's spent it's expired it had a sell-by date on it and it's gone off and it's moldy the old covenant is obsolete so don't even bother trying to think about going back there you can't You can only be right with God through the new covenant, through faith in Jesus Christ. The new covenant is now in place. Hallelujah. What what does it mean? What does this, this new covenant mean? Well, this new covenant is often known by the words justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone, which means that we are right with God by faith and nothing else. Faith, full stop. Justification by faith is the most glorious, beautiful theology. Our life, your life, is like a bank statement. A bank statement that it's got, you're familiar with bank statements, aren't you? A debit column and a credit column. The debit column is the bad news, the credit column is the good news. Don't examine it too hard, this is not mine. I know you're trying to figure out how much I've got left. This is, this, is a, this is a generic one off the internet. I thank whoever it was for posting it there. You don't think I'm that daft, do you? Come on. In, in, a, in a hypothetical bank statement like this, it's got its debit and its credit column. The debit column is where your sins are listed. The debit column, the bad news is where your sins are listed. All your rebellion all against God, all of your selfishness against one another. In the debit column are all your sins listed. All of your selfishness, your pride, your lust, your greed, your unkind thoughts of one another. And by that debit column, you are condemned But there's a credit column. And in the credit column are some of the good things that you've done. Tithing your money, church attendance, Bible reading, being kind to your grandma. Which column do you think is bigger? The debit. The debit column is much bigger than the credit. Because the truth is, folks, the good stuff that you, you do Doesn't really amount to that much, does it? Doesn't really. So God comes along with a big rubber stamp and he stamps on it paid in full. Okay? All of the debit column is paid in full. He clears your debit column to zero. The one that condemned you by your sins. Because of the cross, he declares that your debit column, that your debt to him is empty, it's finished, it's paid for, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But do you know what what else he does? Even better than that, he fills up your credit column to the very top. By yourself, you've got 1%, 2%, maybe 5% for one or two of you. God takes it up to 100%. He takes it up to hundred percent. Now, some of you have heard the, the the words justification, that means just as if I'd never sinned. Well it does, but that only that only clears the debit column. Just just as if I'd never sinned, it does nothing for the credit column. But the so so the That that phrase justification means just as if I've never sinned isn't isn't good enough, folks. It's not good enough because it only clears the debit and it doesn't give you the truth that your credit column is filled up to the very very top. Not by your good works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians two says, but by what Jesus has done, and it's credited to you. It's credited to you. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Your your debit column is zero your credit column is 100% and there are no degrees in justification by faith alone it's a legal declaration so that if you are a christian you are as right in god's sight as the apostle paul or george whitfield and john wesley how cool is that you're as right in god's eyes as these these highly revered Christians. You will never be more acceptable to God than you are right now if you're a Christian because of what Jesus has done. Justification by faith alone means that the, the divine transfer has been has taken place. You've probably heard me say this before. The divine transfer where all of your selfishness and, and greed and, and lust and sin is taken from you and transferred to Jesus, where he paid for it on the cross, but all of his perfection and righteousness in God's sight is transferred to you. So that just like Rick Wakeman, you wear this shining golden cape, which covers all of your sin. And that's how God sees you. Perfect as Jesus how glorious it, it, it you know, this, this does nothing but humble us. It humbles us. We've got nothing to be proud of, but everything to be grateful for, haven't we? Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, God who made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God we might become the righteous, you and I, even us, even selfish people like this could become the righteousness of God because of a simple faith in Jesus. How glorious. So that when Satan whispers in your ear, and I know he does, when Satan whispers in your ear that you're a failure and you've got no right to call yourself a Christian because you've done that thing again, then how true are these words When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The church of Jesus Christ rises Or falls on this justification by faith alone teaching. Embrace it and delight in it and be humbled by it at the same time. You all have an appointment to stand before Almighty God one day. Whether you like it or not, you can't you can't you can't escape it. All of us have an appointment to stand before. Almighty God. And what will be your assurance? That he will either let you in and welcome you or reject you. Nothing but faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing but but faith in Jesus Christ. This Jesus who's done everything necessary for you to be right with God. If you've never come to this Jesus, come to him today. Ask me, ask one of the elders there, the guys with the, not the purple robes, but the purple lanyards. A little bit more Testament priest going on in Stapleford Baptist Church. I hope you realise that. Speak to one of the elders, the guys with the purple lanyards, and they'd be delighted to explain more about how you can be right with God. But if you've never come to him, come to this Jesus through faith alone and rejoice that you can be right with God through faith in Jesus alone. And you'll rejoice for all of eternity if you do that. Hallelujah. Let's pray.